Good evening. Please have your Bible ready in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament in chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Well, I had this idea a few weeks ago based on my interest in stimulating more interaction between the people out there and the guy up here. So I ask you to send me your favorite passages either in a note that you would hand to me or email or a text message. And that was on October the 13th. And before I left the building, my phone was buzzing. So this is the first of several Sunday evening sermons dealing with your suggested passages. So we have the lineup of Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, and then next Sunday night, Psalms 46.10, after that 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8, Acts 17 verse 6, and Job chapter 1 verses 20 through 21. That takes us almost through all of November on Sunday evenings. Now, that same day when I announced this idea, somebody said, my favorite passage is, and I got my pen and paper out, and this brother said, Genesis 1 verse 1 through Revelation twenty-two twenty-one. And my first thought was, that may take more than just one Sunday evening. But on later reflection, there is a point to be made. When we talk about favorite passages, clarity is needed. I want to begin tonight with that clarity. We regard the entire Bible as God's Word of equal inspiration, importance, and power from beginning to end. The whole counsel of God must have our attention. And I'll be repeating that point on these some Sunday evening sermons. We do not want to lock into some memory verse, our favorite passage, our favorite book, to the point where other parts of Scripture are downplayed or ignored. Having said that, it seems natural there are certain statements in the Bible that over time have stayed in our memory and mean something to us through varied circumstances. One of my favorite passages is Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? That has more meaning to me than an Old Testament narrative statement about where the Jebusites were being drafted into slavery in 1 Kings 9. Now, all of that is historical in 1 Kings 9 and therefore valuable. But there are passages that stay with us more than others and that may acquire over time some valuable personal meaning and practical value. So someone here sent me this text message asking for coverage of this passage in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
So what does that mean? What are we to get from this? How is this applied in our lives on earth today? Let's get to work. First of all, I want us to consider if we had just this verse standing alone without any context, either it wouldn't mean anything to us, absent context, or we might be tempted to claim anything about the statement that we might want it to say. If we just had the statement by itself without any surrounding context. Now that leads me to say this. Listen carefully and pause before you react. There is not a single verse in the Bible. Now... Give yourself a moment to let that sink in. There is not a single verse in the Bible. The Bible, as it came from God through the Holy Spirit's inspired writers, had no verses, no chapters. It wasn't until the 16th century that chapters and verses were added, and they were put there for reference purposes. So that when someone is preaching or conducting a Bible class, everybody's able to find the place. Rather than having me get up and say, turn to the Gospel of John and go about halfway through and then move back where you see this paragraph and find this word. Chapters and verses are practical and functional for reference purposes. So, there is not a single verse in the Bible as originally given. But there's another sense in which this is true. There is no verse that isn't attached to what's around it. And we call that, and you hear preachers talking about this all the time, context. An important rule in reading and studying the Bible is this. Never do anything with a verse without studying the verse within its surrounding context. So I can't just reach into the Bible and grab a verse and make some point about it or some application or argument without bringing into that the surrounding context. Objective attention to context around a verse is always absolutely essential. So guess what we're going to do? In our look at Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, I'm going to read the first 11 verses in Ecclesiastes 1, and that's going to supply context. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain? By all the toil at which he toils under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. 
there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new. It has already been in ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Now, we've stopped at verse 11, so we don't have the full picture here, but already in the opening lines of the book of Ecclesiastes, we get some idea as to what this verse is attached to. But we have a little more work to do. So, historically, Solomon, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, is the writer. And there is really one question that opens up this book. What does this earth have to offer? Lock in on that. What does this earth have to offer? Just life here. Solomon's phrase is, under the sun. Before God is brought into the picture and the thinking at all, before judgment and eternity enters into your thinking, just focus for a moment on life here under the sun. What does it have to offer? Without any other considerations for the moment. Just life here on earth from birth to death. The answer is nothing. There is a cycle of events that are repetitive and perhaps monotonous, repeating themselves over and over with nothing new under the sun to excite or to energize or to build expectation. It might be said, as we might say in the South, it's the same old thing. And when you're living just with what the earth offers, just life here, nothing else yet factored into this, it's vanity. It is worthless. It is of no lasting value. Chasing after wind. All things are full of weariness. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. And you, you're left with this. There has to be something else. What has been is what will be. It's monotonous, cyclical, just life here. Solomon says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. I've thought about illustrations for this. And all illustrations are imperfect and incomplete, but here's one that might help. Imagine if you were in prison. No possibility of ever being released. You don't have God in your life. That's not a part of what I'm going to describe. You have no purpose other than what you can scrape up from the environment of confinement. Prisoners testify. They lose track of the days and the years. There's nothing really new. Hardship without purpose. 
Any enjoyment is temporary and all things are full of weariness. You know, we're getting to the very theme of Ecclesiastes. One of the primary themes of Ecclesiastes, if not the primary theme, is without God in your life, just life here isn't really fulfilling. Nothing to look forward to but death. The wind goes around, the water goes around. Nothing to motivate goodness or build expectation. The sun comes up, goes down, the wind and water circulate along their routine pathways. Vanity of vanities. That's the verse. Considered and understood in the context of the overall theme of Ecclesiastes. That's the opening chapter where I believe the theme is being announced and that it's developed all the way to the end of the book. I believe the person who sent this verse to me in a text understands it within the context. But can you imagine what someone might do with this verse if they had no context? Just the verse. Lifted out of its context. No knowledge of the historical background of Solomon and his experience and everything else he says in the book is not there. You've just got this verse. Without the meaning supplied by context, it might be used as a statement of utter despair. It might be written on a suicide note. It might become an excuse to shun valuable responsibilities. Life just here without God doesn't have full meaning. You don't have the fullness. You just come to the end and die. The verse must be studied in the context of Solomon's point that life just here on earth without God is chasing after the good things that have always been here but never provide good purpose and ultimate meaning. Alright, in another sermon in Ecclesiastes a few weeks ago, I said that in some cases it might solve a lot of problems if in the case of Ecclesiastes, you would look at the end of the book first. Now, you don't do that with novels or mysteries. You don't do that with all nonfiction. But in this particular case in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is building to a point, and it might be helpful if you're going to read parts of the book to see how it ends. And so you know where I'm going to read now. The last two verses of the book take you right back to that theme. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Here's where meaning is found. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. This gives meaning and value and understanding and clarity, every other synonym I could bring up 
to everything that's before it. It is one of those cases where the value of the book is punctuated by the end of the book. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. And let's bring all this to some takeaways. Number one, putting God in your life gives everything you do higher value. In fact, the highest value. Putting God in your life and keeping Him there gives everything you do higher value, the highest possible value. <clears throat> it is enjoyable to eat a good meal. The greater part of that is knowing that God provided it for you. It is enjoyable to have a good marriage, but even greater knowing that God is the guiding authority in that marriage. It is good to get up every day and be responsible and productive and have a good job and enjoy what you do and support your family, but even better for God to be a part of everything you do in the workplace. See, putting God in your life removes that constant sense of earth's Vanity. I want to say that again. Putting God in your life and keeping Him there through Christ removes the constant sense of earth's vanity. Fearing God is not debilitating terror. Fearing God is not debilitating terror. It is not thinking that God is after you and He wants to defeat you and send you to a bad place. That's not what fearing God includes. Fearing God is not something that perpetuates distance. Remember, Jesus died to bring us to God. We are brought into fellowship with God through the activity of our faith in Christ that instills gratitude for the grace of God. This is the fear of respect, devotion, reverence, with full knowledge that to displease God never brings any benefit and is always negative, but He's willing to forgive the penitent and help us do better and strengthen us as we navigate the vain storms of earthly existence. Fearing God is respect and devotion to Him, not debilitating fear that He's after you. He wants you. May we never think of this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 without remembering the essential obedience that is a part of fearing God. This says, keeping His commandments. That transcends dispensational boundaries. It has always been and will always be that fearing God includes Obedience. I think one of the first things 
that happens in the minds of people who fall away is they begin to flirt with the idea that obedience just isn't that big a deal. Never do that. Never flirt with the idea that obedience just isn't that important. You see, there is that old false idea the devil has advertised for years that grace somehow mitigates against or reduces the importance of obedience. That's a lie of the devil. The Bible nowhere says that, implies that, or leads to that conclusion. But when one is edging away from the Lord, I think it isn't uncommon for some of the first thoughts to be the justifying cycle that may go on. Maybe obedience isn't a big deal. Well, it is here. It is here. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. One translation says, the whole of man. That's what brings completeness. That the earth can't fear God and keep His commandments. And then, I wanted to say, what I think I said a few weeks ago when we were also in Ecclesiastes but at a different place. Part of the vanity of life is the brevity of life. Solomon and other Bible writers stress that life goes by quickly. One writer said in the New Testament, like a vapor that vanishes. Solomon and other Bible writers stress that life on earth goes by quickly. So you need to have something else. Someone else. And that's God through Jesus Christ. We have reminders of the brevity of life all along the way. But especially maybe near the end of the way. When you have grandkids that are grown when you get four or five pieces of mail from Medicare every week, when young preachers ask what it was like back in the 60s and 70s, when your body begins to exhibit the signs of age documented by Solomon earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, part of the vanity of life is the brevity of life. We're not here long So we need God. It makes it all the more urgent to make certain God is in your life and that He stays there in every way taught by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Because the end of the matter is this, all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's be standing while we sing.